Well, church, we are uh, extremely blessed to have a, a guest preacher this morning. Dr. Charles Ware is going to be bringing the word today. And uh, if you don't know who he is, he's the executive director of Grace Relations at the College of Biblical Studies. Uh, and he has uh, written and co-authored, contributed to several, several books, but one in particular, uh, is by, uh, it's called One Blood, uh, One Race, and uh, that is co-authored with Ken Ham. And uh, he has served as, a, uh, as an elder at College Park Church uh, several years ago. And that's actually where I met him. We were actually serving on uh, the same committee uh, at College Park. And, uh, and the committee, the topic there, uh, had a lot of lively discussion and uh, even a lot of disagreements. And I watched this man, um, j- just a, a godly man, a humble man who's passionate about the gospel. And uh, he's going to be preaching today. I gave him the assignment uh, titled, A Gospel-Shaped Unity. And I did that for two reasons. Number one, uh, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, and chapter 12 is coming. Uh, we're just a chapter away, and that is a chapter about unity. And, and so Dr. Ware is really going to set us up uh, to really approach that top, uh, topic uh, well. But the other reason is because Dr. Ware lives out that topic so faithfully. Uh, again, he is a godly man, a humble man, and he is passionate about the gospel, uh, and so if you're here, you're not a believer, you're going to hear the gospel today and what Jesus has done, not only on the cross, but what he's done through uh, his people. So Dr. Ware, we are hungry for this word. I got to hear the first service, so I know it's good, and I know that we're going to be blessed, so come and, and uh, minister to us. Thanks for being here. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris Bills, a godly man. I appreciate the opportunity of getting <clears throat> to meet him and know him. And um, today, while we're here, uh, first of all, I want to tell you, my wife Sharon is not here. She had a stroke in 2010, and she has a rare brain disease that there's no cure for. I mean, when, when it happens, she doesn't know how to make a cup of tea. She wouldn't know how to put uh, toast in, 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 a, in a toaster bread and a toaster, anything like that. So anyway, she, she, she gets kind of wore out if she's in these services a couple of times. So she's home, but she's praying for you. She, she's excited about what, what you are doing here. Good to see old friends out here, everybody. I won't try to mention any names. I'm getting old. I don't remember stuff like I, should, like I used to. But uh, you want to get a hold of me, you see uh, Grace Relations, how to get a hold of me. I want to say this to you this morning is, as, as uh, Pastor Bills has asked me to speak on a gospel-shaped unity. I want, to, I want you to understand, I'm not speaking to you this morning as a politician. I'm not speaking to you as a, as a judge. I'm not speaking to you as a secular educator. I'm not speaking to you as a black man. Here's how I come to you. I come to you with this in mind, that I am a servant of God, redeemed by the blood of the Son of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, Submitted to the word of God, laboring with the family of God to advance the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And when I tell you that, I say that to myself because I know that one day I'll stand before Jesus Christ and answer to him what I said to you. And therefore, I want to be an instrument of the grace of God to bring to you the mind and will of God through the word of God that you might be conformed to the image of the Son of God, that you might labor together for the glory of God. And, I, and I, I, am, I am, that's what motivates me. That's what keeps me going. And so I am delighted to be here. The uh, College of Biblical Studies where I serve, I serve as the executive director 
of Grace Relations, and that is an acronym. It is an acronym for God's reconciliation at Christ's expense. So my message will be centered upon you as believers, those who repented of your sins and come to Christ and endured by the Spirit of God. This is not a message for the White House. This is not a message for the courthouse. This is not a message for the schoolhouse. This is a message for God's house. We are a unique group of people for the glory of God, and my desire is that we might live to show that out. And my whole life since I got saved has been a gospel-shaped uh, uh, unity, including with my wife. It will be 48 years come this August, and God has given us a great ride, and um, I love her. She loves me. She loves our kids, and she has lived out this message. We've had everything in our home from prostitutes to rich people, poor people, Black people, white people, Asian people, Latino people. I mean, she's went the route of it, and she's entertained them with the love of Christ and with the hospitality that you would see in a godly woman. And so I'm so grateful for that. I also want to say to you that the reason I'm with the College of Biblical Studies, we merged uh, with them uh, in uh, 2019, but I had served as president of Crossroads Bible College. We merged because we've got similar mission statements. We're trying to do the same thing, and, and they are a place that is trying to work out this gospel-shaped unity, and uh, I love it. Our mission statement is the College of Biblical Study exists to glorify God by educating and equipping multi-ethnic Christian leaders to impact the world for Christ. I love the fact that we live it out as far as our diversity is concerned. Um, we're about... Uh, uh, 45% African-American, 29% Latino. Uh, we 17% of the lighter hue. That means the more you need to come on in and get this thing balanced so uh, we could we be more what we want to be, you know. And then we got so much of the other. But no, this, this is this, the main campus is in Houston. We have an a extension here in Indianapolis and Fort Wayne. But we are passionate. We want the, the unity Grace relations to be the very DNA of our college, not a program that we tag on. So when we think about grace relations, one of the things I want to mention to you, we do several things. We've got a number of, uh, of things that I give to people from teaching, preaching, consulting, uh, cultural assessments, so on and so forth. You can get a hold of me to find out more about that if you like. But one of the things I do want you to capture is the spirit of grace relations. So what do I want to do? What am I seeking to do through grace relations? I'm speaking to the people of God. I'm talking to those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Son of God, those of us who are submitted to the Word of God, those of us who are trying to live for the glory of God. Number one, what I want to do through what I'm trying to do is discipleship. I want us to grow in our love for God and our love for our neighbor. If you go through what is called inclusion training and diversity training and you don't come through it loving God more and loving your neighbor more, you miss the point as a Christian. We want you to know God, to love God, and to love your neighbor the way God says you should, and uh, that's what I'm shooting after. Second thing is edification. I want my words to minister grace to those to whom I speak because I'm finding so many Christians confused. They're paralyzed. They don't know what to say. They don't know when they're offended. They don't know what was right, what was wrong. They're arguing. They're fussing, and we're getting nowhere. I want to encourage you. I can't afford to have Christians beat down paralyzed, sitting on the sideline. I need you in the game. 
Therefore, you need to get a hold of the Word of God, what God says, what you ought to do, and get up and get out there. You will make mistakes. You will be criticized. You will fail. But thank God if you're humble and depend on Him, He's the one who ultimately brings the victory. So let's get with it. The next thing is manifestation. You and I, I don't want to spend all my time cursing the darkness. I don't want to know what's wrong with this person, what's wrong with that person, what's wrong over there, what's wrong over there, what's wrong over there. What I want to know as Christians, how do we come together and demonstrate what Jesus said, by this should all men know that you're my disciples, by our love one for another. We're going to have to demonstrate by our relationships and our unity that the gospel is powerful enough to bring us together for the glory of God. And then the other thing I'm in is uh, evangelization. I want to depopulate hell. Uh, the government's not going to get anybody to heaven. Secular colleges ain't going to get anybody to heaven. The court systems ain't going to get anybody to heaven. The only people on planet Earth who has the message that get people from hell to heaven is you and I because we got the gospel. And so I want you to get passionate about that. Building relationships with people so that you can present to them the gospel. And if they are saved, helping them to grow so that they can present better. And then finally, we just want to uh, glorify God in everything that we do. So Ken Ham and I wrote this book together, One Race, One Blood. I'll say this about that right now quickly. is One Race, One Blood. The heart of that is that we need a biblical worldview to, to look through everything we talk about. Your worldview will determine your end. And you and I need to get in there. And that world is so divided right now. Churches are divided, split, calling pastors, social gospel, Marxists, so on and so forth, leaving, going this way, that way, the other way. And we're not even talking to one another. We are splitting along the same lines as the world. There's something wrong with that picture. We should be better than the world. That book tries to bring out a biblical worldview and challenges us to that reality. And, and um, the thing that you and I would say, we'll say, well, we got the gospel, the gospel is the answer. All we need is to preach the gospel. Now, this church has been going through 1 Corinthians. I remind you that they had the gospel in 1 Corinthians, yet they had all these problems. Because just having the gospel don't make you mature. You need to be mature in your faith, not just, be, not just have the gospel and be saved and go into heaven, but you need, to be, be, you need to be being transformed by the Spirit of God as he uses the Word of God to transform you into the image of the Son of God so that the gospel implications are seen in your life. I remember one time a board member asked me when I came to Crossroads Bible College. He said, if God called you to pastor the church at Corinth, would you do it? I had to think. I'm like... Now, you, you did say, if God, right? If God. I, I want to be obedient to God. But, man, them people got so many problems there. But Paul said in chapter 1 that they had the gospel. They were saints. They were messed up. I think one of the issues that you and I have got a challenge with is, is this. When we're talking about being communities of light, if we have the gospel and the gospel is the answer, why is the church so divided? That's a question we got to answer. We got to demonstrate that we can do something about it. In 2004, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Thailand in a, in a Lausanne's meeting, Billy Graham's Association, bringing people together from all over the world and talk about what might hinder the gospel. That year, they put us in study groups. I was in a study group that was studying uh, racism, casteism, uh, tribalism, all the isms. And the question was, is the gospel powerful enough to save people out of these isms and bring them together as one for the glory of God? 
Now, we came up with this solution that I, I'm sure you would agree with it. We believed that the gospel was powerful enough. We believed that reconciliation was central to the gospel. And we also said it was a costly thing. But here's the issue that we had to deal with. At the time, we were talking about this, and we had 48 in our group. We had a black South African, white South African. We had a Hutu, we had a Tutsi. We had a Palestinian, we had a Jew. We, like that, that was the setup. All, everybody saved professing faith in Christ. We spent a week together talking to one another. But here's the issue. We came to this conclusion, but here's what we had to deal with. Rwanda was considered the most evangelized nation in the world at that time. And the battle between the Hutus and Tutsis broke out, and 900,000 people were massacred. So people say, if the gospel is the answer, what happened to Rwanda? You and I need to give an answer to that. Ken, Han Ken Davis, rather, he's another brother of the light of Hugh, I like to call him. He and I wrote an article together after Ferguson. Ferguson, how should the church respond? And what we wanted to do was model in that book of listening, listening, having conversations with one another. And, 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 and Ken, he took the task of listening to brothers and sisters of the darker hue and seeing what they were saying. I listened to brothers and sisters and research of the lighter hue. And then we try to bring it together to have a serious conversation and put everything under the spotlight of the Bible. We were trying to model what we we're going to be talking about today as I work with you through this. We need to, we need to, 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 to get to a place where we can have conversation that brings collaboration, that brings change. I like to call it us and us conversations that bring loving collaborations, that brings personal and community change. Uh, that is what I want to talk about here with you today, a gospel-shaped unity. And I want to take it from Acts 10 and a little bit of 11, and we'll just tell you about what goes on in 15 and all that. But here, here's the deal. The book of Acts is a historical book, and I like to recommend books and people. Like, oh, I read this great book on racial reconciliation. Here's a great book called the Bible. Here's one you can read called Acts. Because in Acts 1-8, this is what, this is what Acts um, 7 and 8 says. It says, and he said to them, that's Christ, the resurrected Christ. It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most than to the, to the ends of the earth. What, G, what Jesus is telling them is that the, the gospel, that is the gospel that comes from God, is the brainchild of God. And when people are saved from all different groups, they become one in Christ. Unity is not the brainchild of the government, is not the brainchild of secular education, is not the brainchild of the courts. Unity amongst believers is the brainchild of God. It originated in his hand, he, in his head, he can accomplish it by his hand as he moves in our hearts to make us more like he wants us to be. I love this idea that you have a pastor here who's committed to the word of God. And, and I often like to tell people this. I wrote this in a book that I, that I, I um, just wrote one, one chapter in it. But I had this to say. It says, a pastor has an awesome responsibility to speak the mind of God to the people of God as revealed in the Word of God. We do not simply study the crowd, find out what they want, and give it to them. 
While the Bible must be applied to the times, it is not to be subservient to the times. Thus, unity across ethnic, cultural, and ethnic lines should be proclaimed, not because it is the latest fad, but rather because it is the clear teaching of the eternal Word of God. Now, as we think about this, and as we think about this whole idea of conversations, I've come to this conclusion. A lot of people try to have conversations, and they get nowhere. They begin to talk, and then you demonize them, and they demonize you, and you go your way, and they go their way. And we're mad with one another, and we're happy about it. We are proud of the fact that we are arrogant, selfish, proud individuals. We don't show the humility that we should. And I was asking myself, so how do we get a conversation where it can start off with humility? Well, one of the examples of that is here in the Bible with, um, with uh, Peter and Cornelius. I tell people what we need today is more PC in the church. I don't mean political correctness. I mean Peter and Cornelius. Individuals who had a conversation with God first, and God got their head, their heart right, and then brought them together, and together as humble individuals before God, knowing that what they was doing, they were directed by God. They now can talk to one another with the, with the perspective of God in creating unity for the glory of God and advancement of his kingdom. So when we start off here, we're starting off with the man Cornelius, having a conversation with God. And keep this in mind. I like to tell people this, that prayer is not a one-way conversation. Prayer is a two-way conversation. Yeah, you speak to God, but you need to listen to God. The message that I get from this that I'm talking to you about is a message that God has worked in my heart. He's challenging you. You need to spend more time in my word than you do listen to media. You need to spend more time in my word than you spend on social media. Not that I'm going to just divest myself of all and say, there ain't nothing going on in the world. No, I'll listen to it. But I'm telling you right now, depending on what media station you listen to, you got two divergent concepts of truth. And, and what I need to know is what God says. And, and so I need to, as God said, you need to, you need to listen to me. Listen, here's, here's, here's Cornelius. The Bible says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called an Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed uh, to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things, he sent them to Joppa. Now, I want you to think about this. Here, here, Cornelius wasn't some poor guy on bad luck needing help from Peter. No, Cornelius was a leader. Cornelius was over a military band. Cornelius was charged with keeping Jews in line who would break Romans' law. Cornelius was a man, was a man's man. Cornelius was in his own place. He was securing himself. He had power. He had authority. He had rule. 
But Cornelius also was a Gentile, although not circumcised. He was a God-fearer, and he prayed to God. He gave alms to God. He was a devout man. But Cornelius, as he's praying to God and all that, then God sent an angel to talk to Cornelius. And then and God tells Cornelius, hey, listen, I want you to send, to, I want you to send you guys to Joppa, and you're going to ask for Simon Peter. And you, he's, gonna get, he's got words that you need to hear. Now, that's powerful. Now, what would make Cornelius a Gentile as a Jew to come to his house? As we'll see here in a moment, Peter's going to say, it's an unlawful thing for a Jew to go in the house of a Gentile. Cornelius knew that. It wasn't socially acceptable. It wasn't legally acceptable. It wasn't, rigid, it wasn't religiously acceptable. So what would cause him to send to a man that, number one, he, he was a guy that Cornelius is keeping these people from rebelling against Rome and keeping them on the, on the taps. But what would make him send them? What would make you go to a person of a different political persuasion of yours? What would make you go to a person of a different color than yours? What would make you go to a person of a different economic bracket than yours? What I'm trying to say to you, what made Cornelius send for him was God. In his prayers, God got a hold of Cornelius and said, you're missing something. You need to go send, and he's going to tell you everything you need. I mean, that would be like talking to a person of the darker hue from the inner city saying, oh, oh, oh. Oh, will you people up there in Fishers come down here? You got something we need. God made him do that. And while God's working on his heart, and and you could say, I would say to Cornelius, hey, give it up, bro. They ain't coming. I mean, you know, you know, you know they're not coming, man. They ain't coming. You, what you, you lost your mind. They ain't coming to your house. But, but, but look, at, look at what's going on. On the other side, God is working with Peter. The Bible says in verse 9, Now the next day as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up in the housetop to pray. About six hours. Then he became very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice said to him, rise, Peter, Peter, kill, eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything coming unclean. And a voice and a voice spoke to him again second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call coming. This was done three times, and the object was taken up him. Now, when I was young and reading this chapter, I'm like, what's wrong with you, Pete? You're a disciple, dude. You're more than a disciple. You, you, you're an apostle. God told you to kill and eat. He told you three times, knucklehead. What's your problem? You ungodly wretch. No. As I've thought about it more, this wasn't a sign of ungodliness with Peter. No, Peter knew the ceremonial laws. 
And Peter was so committed to obeying God and doing what God wanted him to do that Peter said that even though I'm hungry, if I have to eat something unclean, I will continue in my hunger. I will stick by the word of God and the principles of God no matter what it costs me. And that's where some of you are. When it's old. Racial equality and wokeness. You know, oh man, I don't care what they say. There's a bunch of advocates out there, the Black Lives Matter, and the Marxists, and them so on. And them. you got you. I got to stand with God. Hey, and there's a good reason that we should stand with God. But you need to, as you've gone through it as a church, First Corinthians eight nine, you need to be able to separate what our core biblical foundational doctrine and morality from social preference and other things. God is working on Peter. But Peter's heart's in the right place. But God is trying to say to Peter, yeah, I gave you these ceremonial laws as a national distinction between Israel and the Gentiles. You You are circumcised. You're living by all these things. But Peter, I'm about to do something bigger than that. I'm about to bring about gospel-shaped unity because I'm about to save people through the death of my son and those, those, those ceremonial laws I'm doing away with. I'm not doing away with my law and those things, but I'm getting ready to do away with them. So Peter's there, and, and um, he hears this three times. And I don't know when, but somehow the message got across to him. But he was praying. He was seeking God's will in this. The Bible says in verse 17, Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, a man who, sent, who, who, who was sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been there, who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I'm him whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one who fears God and a good reputation among all the nation of Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and, and to hear the words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged with them. On the next day, Peter went away with them. Now listen, Peter, somewhere in there, he's praying and looking in the word of God. He got a better view of what God was about to do in, in, in Acts and putting the gospel out to all people. And, 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 and now Peter is, is saying, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm, I'm gonna. So, so in prayer, God speaks to Cornelius. An unlikely person who'd ask the Jew to come to his house. And over here in prayer, God speaks to Peter, an unlikely person who's to go into the house of a Gentile. And God's spoken to each one of them. Each one of them, in obedience to God, responds to what God told them to do. The question is, how obedient are you and I? And I want you to know that as God brings them to obedience we see something that is amazing. This is amazing to me. It says, verse 24, And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped. Now, I'm thinking to myself, I ain't falling down to nobody's 
I'm not worshiping any human being. And that's the way we look at it, right? I ain't talking to them people. They're crazy. They're stupid. They're demons. They're wrong. Could be. But could it be that God might work on their hearts? If you listen to, if you listen to God and they listen to God, maybe God's going to bring some of you together. Both of you haven't been changed by the grace of God. Cornelius could have said, all right, you Jews, you know, I got, you, I got your back, bro. I can put you in jail. I can get you out of jail. Listen, you come to me, you stand up. You, you let me tell you something, Peter. But he felt that's humility. That's humility. He was humble because God had done it. And then, 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 then Peter, look, look, look what Peter does. Peter could have said, all right, all right. I can see God sent me here. You bowing down, dude. All right, all right. I've got a message for you. But the verse 26 says, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I'm a man also. I, I, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who were together together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Wow. Wow. What I'm saying to you is some of you are paralyzed right now because you you know what somebody else is going to say if you went to them. I'm challenging you, you don't know what they will say. In 1968, March of 1968, it was a year Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Two men of the light of hue came to my house on a Monday night to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. When they came to my house on that Monday night, I can tell you right now, God had prepared me. My heart was prepared. He showed me the emptiness of all the things I was seeking. I wanted something. In fact, when they came to me and stood at my door, they asked me the question. They said, if you were to die tonight, where would you go to spend eternity? I looked them straight in their eyes and said, if God is just, I'd go to hell. They said, well, have you ever heard that you could go to heaven? And I said, yes, I did. In fact, one of the young men there, it was his father. I was in a Sunday school with his father who gave me the gospel from 1 John chapter 5 and said, you can know that you're going to heaven. But I rejected that gospel and thought you couldn't know that you go to heaven. But I thought I was good enough to go to heaven because I was better than other kids in Sunday school. But I got saved that night. God saved me because these men listened to God and came to my house. And God had prepared me, and I got saved, boy, I got, whoo, glory be to God. My life turned all around. In fact, I was the first black dude to get baptized in that church. My mother said, boy, you look like a fly in a bowl of milk. <laughs> I said, oh, I said, don't worry, Mom, I'll take care of them all. Don't worry, don't worry. But, 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 but that was God had worked in my life. What I'm trying to say to you and trying to say to myself, as we pray, we need to hear from God, listen to God, and then we need to do what God tells us to do. Because as Peter preached the word of God, the people got saved. People were born again. And you and I might see people get saved, or we might see Christians grow, but we just can't stand back and do nothing. We've got to saturate ourselves in the word of God. We've got to pray to God and listen to God. What gifts have he given us? What opportunities has he given us? And we need to take those in confidence that God can make a difference. You know, when I went to Bible college, I got saved in March of 1968. In August of 1968, I was in a Bible college. Now, I applied to three state universities. I was accepted at three state universities. I had scholarships to three state universities. 
Bible college I applied to didn't know what a scholarship was. But why did I go? I'm telling you, I was praying, and I was telling God, as I felt he was dealing with my heart about going to Bible college, and I said, God, I said, you sure you want me to go to Pennsylvania? The Ku Klux Klan probably down in them hills. But if you want me to go, I'll go. And I went. You know why I went? Because God told me to. It wasn't because I was going to make a lot of money. In fact, I tell people, part of, part of the reason you don't have equity between so-called people that are darker hue and the lighter hue is because instead of me going and making all the money, I went to Bible college. So you can blame me for that inequity. But here's the thing, beloved. What is God saying to you? Are you saturated with the word of God? Is your, hum- is your heart humbled before God? Is there something God telling you to do that you're refusing to do? I mean, God's hand work. God, God, the, br- reconciliation is the brainchild of God. You and I need to, need to realize that. Another thing you and I need to realize is that this is going to be shaped by the hand of God. They had resistance. They had resistance. I'll just, I'll just read Acts, Acts 11 here, just the first part of that. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter, how can you be so stupid, ignorant, eating with them demons, unclean people? Peter explained to him, listen, dude, God just told me to go, and I went and preached, and the Spirit of God fell on them just like he did on us. What? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. God is able to do something that the world can't do. Now, they had a big argument in chapter 15 about the, Jew, the, 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 the Gentiles have to be circumcised. And they all got back and forth. They can, had a contention going on, and then finally James appealed to the word of God. Back in the Old Testament, God said that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. That settled the matter, and they came up with a comprehensive solution. All right, they don't have to be, they don't have to be circumcised, but, 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 but tell them don't eat meats, uh, uh, strangled and offered idols and stuff like that. Beloved, what I'm trying to say to you is simply this. That, that, that you and I, in the generation which we're living in, we can't just curse the darkness. We've got to pierce and create relationships with other people with whom we may disagree, but we need to humbly and um, clearly communicate to them the love of Christ and the word of God and trust that God, in some cases, going to save people, in other cases, going to help Christians to grow. But when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to give an account for what we've done, we need to be able to say that that which you gifted me with, I used it for your glory. And God is doing, God is doing some great things. You know, God has been taking me through this journey in prayer for myself. In fact, um, some strange things have happened. One of the strange things that happened for me is that um, I got a call. Well, first of all, I, I wanted to make these videos about grace relation. Didn't know how to make it. Didn't know what to do and all that stuff. Wound up calling Ken Ham to ask him for some legal counsel. And he said, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I said, well, I want to do these videos and put them on social media and all that. He said, just last week I was praying that God would show me a way I could help you get your message out. Boom, that's the six videos that your elders have looked at. That was a God thing. That's just about 
two, three weeks ago, I get a call from, I don't know, about two, three months ago, I get a call from Bob Jones University. I ain't got time to go into it, but you study the history. Bob Jones University flew five men here to Indianapolis to talk to me. And what they said is, we want to take this grace relations. We want to get it out to our Christian schools. We want them to grab it, embrace it, and use it for the glory of God. I mean, that is nothing but the grace of God. Just a, just a, a couple weeks ago, I had a, I had a I had a message on my Facebook that was put on there in January of 2020. A gentleman, a gentleman said, are you Charles Ware that went to Williamson School? I, 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 I knew a guy there. I don't know if you're the same guy. Long story short, I thought to delete it because I was embarrassed. It was a year over a year ago. But I went back. Yeah, I'm the guy. Sorry. Didn't get back. Anyway, he says, let's make a call. We called. We began to talk. He's been on the board of the Christian Businessmen Connection. He has been the president of Christian Businessmen Connection. He got, so, he got excited about grace relationship. So let's talk about it further because I think this might be able to help the Christian businessmen. Now, I don't know if anything will come of that, but I'm just telling you God is working. God is working. I mean, I want to give God the glory just to do his name. I want you to see something here. This video. This summer, Matt Ware is relearning things that many of us take for granted. I can pretty much almost feed myself with a little arm support, elbow support. Two more minutes. Therapists are working with the 16-year-old who is paralyzed below the shoulders. Four months ago, Matt was running up and down the court for Heritage Christian, a promising basketball player for the Eagles varsity team. I always grew up with basketball. Everybody in the family pretty, pretty much plays basketball. But a freak accident changed his life forever. I had dove for the ball, and I saved it to my friend, and I hit the mat straight on with my head. His neck was broken, but his spirit wasn't. Matt remained positive despite a devastating accident. I'm doing things that the doctors never thought I'd be able to do. Matt's faith in God four more. drives him in therapy. I've been more of a witness for God now than I was before in the past. And um, so many people have been touched and things, which I never, you know, thought would happen. God has taken this weakness and shown his power in a very unique way. This is a special gift that Matt received from his friends at church and school. They traced their hands on this quilt and placed their names and Bible verses on it. Matt says it's that kind of support that helps push him. Go ahead and keep your elbow straight. Matt won't be playing basketball this summer. Does he miss it? There's a sense of me that does, yeah. But I figure if God wants me to play again, then I'll play. The more immediate goal is relearning to write his name legibly. I thank God for what he's given me and what he's done in the past and everything he's going to do in the future. So. That was really good. God used that and many people at College Park ministered to our family. I didn't care whether you were lighter, he was darker, he was, it didn't really make any difference to me. You loved God, you loved our family. The College Park took up an offering one night, $160,000. Business people did a banquet, they got $100,000. Had a house built by Christian builders. We moved in debt-free. Uh, just so many things that God did. And, and when, when I say that was a God-shaped unity, because to this day, I understand that when I was at my, my, my lowest and I had no answers and I had no plans and I didn't know how I was going to get out of it, God called the people of God together around my family. They ministered to my family, and God continues to minister to us. And I just want to say to you that I thank God great things God has done. When we come together, we can make a difference. That testimony of Matt was so great that Billy Graham, this last 
crusade here on that Saturday night. They had uh, testimonies for young people, and Matt Ware's testimony was one of them. And I just want to say to you that history is still being written by the hand of God. Your life and my life and our giftedness by God will be used of God to touch other people for the glory of God, transform them through the truth of God so that they might live their lives more in the image of the Son of God. And together we might manifest to a broken world that we represent the gospel of Jesus Christ that can bring us together for the glory of God. So I want to challenge you here in this community. Think about God. Pray and saturate yourself with the word of God. Let him humble you and reach out to other people and put those loving collaborations together that bring change in your life and in our communities all for the glory of God. Father, it's my prayer right now that the spirit of the living God would take the word of God and convict our hearts and change our hearts. Humble us under the mighty hand of God that you might lift us up in due season. We are in desperate need in our city. We're in desperate need in our state. We're in desperate need in our country. We need a move of God, a revival of the people of God, and an awakening in the land. And for that we pray in the triumph name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.